Hey, what's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is U.S. Navy SEAL veteran Johnny Soteo. Johnny was a breacher and a point man in the SEAL teams, which ended up taking a toll on his mental state. He tells a story about a moment of laughter he shared with his teammates as they attempted to outrun rockets launched by the enemy in Iraq. Johnny leaves us with a bucket full of effective treatments for veterans suffering from PTSD and TBI as he continues to give back by helping as many veterans as he can. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV, or you can email us at team at UrbanValor.com. Enjoy the show. Rowan. What's up, Johnny? Morning, Josh. How are you, brother? Hey, good, man. Thank you so much for being here, brother. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's good to be here on a red Friday. (laughs) I'm always representing so awesome man yeah. uh let's just start off with tell people who you are man what's your uh, uh introduce yourself um uh your branch of service um what you did uh your uh, your job and um the rank you got out as got it my name is johnny soteo i was born in san Antonio to us locals but san antonio texas to everybody else and uh raised in bernie texas a lot of you guys who are probably watching this know where Black Rifle Coffee set up their little shop in our little small town. That's super patriotic. Grew up there. Um, joined the SEAL teams back in 98. I joined the Navy December of 96. Got out December of 04 as an E6. So first class petty officer before it all went to special operation, a special operator, uh, rating. And during that time, I served in the Middle East because SEAL Team 3 was strictly the area of operation in the Middle East. Um, what, what, did, uh, what inspired you to join the military? It's funny. I was actually going to go to UT on an academic scholarship, University of Texas, Hook'em Horns. <laughs> and my best friend from high school, who's an active duty Green Beret Lieutenant Colonel talked me into it. <laughs> mm. So he ended up watching Navy SEALs and his pop was calling him out because he w- he didn't do that great in school. I I actually tutored him and all my other close childhood friends so we could make sure everybody would play on Friday night underneath the lights playing high school football, which we all know it's it's freaking religion in Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. So, Instead of going to school, I wasn't feeling challenged. I was very gifted growing up when it came to academics and even uh, playing football, you know. Mm-hmm. So he talked me into joining the SEAL teams. So, yeah, it. Uh, <laughs> he talked me into it, man. I went in, I ended up going in solo. And then by the time he got married, I, when he got married, I was still on my first deployment. We're in Kuwait and hindsight, I should have put in a, a chit to fly back home for a few days to go be in his wedding. Mm. But when you're in it and we were taking down uh, Saddam's ships that were smuggling oil, 
weapons, people, you name it, dates, mm. you know. So we were enforcing the UN sanctions on Saddam Hussein and outside of a couple other units like CAG and Damneck, our boys from Damneck, we were the only guys really working um, from Team 3 and then one or two teams from the East Coast. Wow. So... What was a, uh, what's the process of taking down a ship? It depends on how you're taking it down. So most of our ship takedowns were VBSS. So we were working with our special boat teams, our boat guys. We jump on their 11 meter ribs, fully loaded up with 50 cals on the bow or Mark 19, 40 Mike Mike machine guns. And they haul us up next to a ship. And we'd hook and climb like James Bond. And I was a point man at the time. So I was an elite climber. So I'd get my ass up as fast as possible, pull my pistol out because we were running MP5s at the time. So I'd have my SIG 226. I'd pop over the edge, clear it real quick, put my shit back in, get over the rail, reach over, give my hand signal, it's all clear, and guys would haul ass up. And then I'd hold security until our first fire team would get up. I'd get the tap and we'd go straight to the bridge. Dude. Yeah. That's fucking, like, how, how did you feel, like, before a mission like that? That's fucking wild, like, to me, listening to that. Like, because you're, I mean, to me, you're at a disadvantage, right? If, right. If, if I'm on a ship and you're trying to come take it over, I'm just going to lean over and just pop, 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 pop. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So. What fucking types of stuff goes through your mind before a mission like that? Well, you being a point man and lead climber, you always want to make sure you do your job on, especially on that op, because if if you don't clear coming up over that the edge of the ship, and the, we're talking ginormous cargo tankers, and if you don't clear it, your boys are and somebody starts shooting. Your boys are going to take it and you're probably going to get shot off the top of the caving ladder. You know what I mean? Then you're taking, you might actually probably take out the guys below you that are climbing up. Because when we climbed on those caving ladders, it was not to butt, but it was head to feet. You know what I mean? Going vertical. Mm -hmm. So you had to make sure you did that job and did it well to protect everybody in the platoon behind you that's climbing up. God damn. And I've been in that situation. I've been on a thousand foot tanker looking over the edge, dealing with Somali pirates. And that was one of the contracts I did several years ago for four years. But I've been on in both positions. I've been on that boat coming up and I've been up on a thousand foot tanker or uh, cargo container looking down and it's the most stable platform. Yeah. And the highest ground you could ever shoot from. And I mean, to be honest with you, if you're on one of those thousand footers and you're up on a bridge wing, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. Shit, man. And then you knowing that, you know the fucking danger it presents them when you're fucking running, running these missions in. <laughs> right. <laughs> wow. And then we'd have, with that mission, we'd have uh, like an HS squadron with one or two of our snipers overhead doing the overwatch. And then some of our ship takedowns were strictly Hilo VBSS, which most guys will test. It's dangerous as shit mm. because they would put up a bunch of passive countermeasures 
So they'd run wire all around the bridge, like 180 degrees. So if we we're fast roping down, we'd get all tangled up in the wire and it'd just be a complete shit show. Oh, fuck. You know what I mean? Could you imagine that? Just pile guys and wires like spider webs. Oh, yeah, fuck. a lot of shit could go wrong. So we were, a lot of the time, we were fast roping in spots we didn't want to be. And if you remember recently, uh, the end of last year, we just lost the commanding officer of SEAL Team 8 mm. during a training exercise out in Virginia Beach on a fast rope. Oh, no. And that guy had done a lot of amazing combat deployments. Yeah. But it shows you how dangerous it can be. And yeah. we, I mean, we even did a fast rope where we had a 90-foot fast rope. And we did a 100-foot fast rope because the pilot was so new and had never worked with us. The freaking fast rope was, I mean, the tip of my fingers is eight feet. I've measured this before. Yeah. So two feet higher than that. That's where the bottom of the fast rope was. So imagine guys coming off the fast rope with still 10 feet of no fast rope underneath them. And they're just. Dude, that's fucking high as shit. Feet, 90 <laughs> yeah. feet. I, I mean, we used to fucking fast rope out of, you know, 50 feet, you know, from a helo. And I was fucking, I hated it every time because I fucking hate heights. Yeah. Um, but I've climbed up. I was a volunteer firefighter for a little while. I've climbed up a 70, the 75 foot ladder, not the fucking 100 one. And that shit was like, fuck it. I didn't like it at all, bro. <laughs> and on one of them, one of my boys, he's still over at Damn Neck. He's a master chief, just absolute stud. Yeah. He's been on every major operation you could possibly think of. He was the last one down on that one fast rope. And the pilot drifted, drifted over the edge. This is the bow of the ship. He drifted so far over, the fast rope was at like almost almost like a 45, maybe a little bit shower, shallower angle. Mm -hmm. And he actually hooked himself on the rail. And then the fast rope and the, the helo shifted off site, mm. off location. And he had to pull himself over. Oh, shit. If he would have gone overboard, he would have gone directly underneath that thousand foot ship. And been chewed up by the fucking screws. Oh, yeah. Fuck, he would have been fish food. So you're uh, uh, during the invasion of Iraq. Um, did you did you conduct any land missions? Yeah, all of it was land. Oh, it was land. Yeah. So we took down Al Fall Peninsula, mm -hmm. where they had a giant uh, oil refinery station. So all the oil that was coming from the gas oil platforms, the go plats, was being pumped into here. This station and it was giant. It was probably, uh, I would say about a click by a click. So a thousand by a thousand. Mm. And what our job at that time was to make sure that they didn't blow this location. And some of our other platoons were taking down the go plats because it would have caused an environmental disaster right there. Mm. And we're talking about you have. Alpha Peninsula, where the pumping station was, the Shatala Rab River, mm -hmm. and then freaking Iran. You could see Iran from where we were at. Shit. <laughs> it was that close. Wow. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> you know, we were talking earlier, and, uh, you know, you're real deep into, you know, treatments for, you know, PTS and all this stuff, which is fucking amazing. And, and so I know we want to get to that, but, 
before we get to that, I just want to help people understand like why it is that you do what you do, why you're doing what you do. Right. Um, and you know, how you got to the point of like needing these type of treatments, like, you know, uh, if you don't mind talking about, yeah, that, yeah like, not at all, you know, your missions or whatever you did that kind of, uh, you know, can't get out of your head or whatever. Right. You know? Well, you know, in our, uh, community, like most of special operations, the cumulative effect of consistent exposure to blast the shock from jumping out of airplanes and your, I mean, your shoot that's opening to save you, to get you onto a target or during a training op is the same amount of force that is injuring your brain. Mm. So everything we do in the SEAL teams and, you know, I'm pretty sure everybody from other special operations units would say this as well. It destroys your body mm-hmm. and not just your body, your brain. I mean, we, it's just layered and layered because you're constantly doing it. I mean, you don't, you really don't take breaks. So you're doing explosive breaching, right? I was a breacher in the SEAL teams and a point man. When I was a new guy, I was a 60 gunner. So we're doing these heavy weapons courses with our 60s and our saws. And even that concussive blast that you're not seeing, that invisible, um, let's just call it, it's overlapping fields of invisible, invisible brassants from our weapons. When we're shooting next to each other, doing immediate action drills, shooting and moving, your head is getting rocked. So from the time you go to BUDS, everything you're doing in SEAL training during BUDS, until even through when you're in your platoon, let, let's, let me step back. So SEAL training, when you graduate from BUDS, back in the day before my brother graduated from SEAL training, it was SEAL tactical training. Mm. So you shift gears, it's more professional, more advanced. Um, and those instructors in cadre are getting you ready to deploy with their best friends, mm, right? Yeah. So they want squared away guys, hard chargers, guys who are going to pick up learning our craft. Then after SEAL tactical training or SEAL qualification training, which my brother was new to that pipeline, um, you're doing, you're doing that prepping to go to a SEAL platoon that's active, getting ready to do a training workup to deploy. Mm. So my brother went from, I went from STT, SEAL Tactical Training, to a platoon. My brother did it as well, but his training was longer because we used to go to Fort Benning for jump school. Mm-hmm. Where our guys, now everything's combined. We have our own internal jump school, which my brother got to do, I think, like a week of static. And then they go right into freefall, wow. which is down by the border in San Diego. So back in the day, we'd have to fight and freaking beg to get free fall billets for our guys mm. from the army to go out to Yuma to jump. Oh. So not everybody was free fall called back in the day. And you only got it if you're a really good dude and you had a good, you know, you were good with all the boys that you're working with. Right. They would tear guys like, all right, we want to send these guys to free fall because they earned it. Right, right. Now everybody gets to go, which mm-hmm. is 
how it should have been a long time ago. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But all that, I mean, you get done with SQT and all your jumping, you know, all your small unit tactics. You go into your SEAL platoon, then it gets more advanced. Now you're jumping more, uh, more time on the boats, doing training ops for like VBSS, mm -hmm. all the explosive breaching. I mean, I can't even count how many times I've done explosive breaching while I was in a couple of platoons. Then when I went to our advanced training command, I taught Mount, which is urban warfare, the visit board, search and seizure, takedowns, explosive breaching, and what else did we do? Oh, go plats, the gas oil platform takedowns. Mm. But being a, having that exposure to breaching consistently, I mean, it does a number on you and then all the heavy weapons. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I've been doing that for two decades with all the different jobs I did, whether I was in the SEAL teams or as a private military contractor here in the States or overseas, yeah. I was always around explosives and always around weapons. Mm. Um, during any of your uh, deployments overseas, man, did you, did you have any like uh, close calls? Like, with Yeah, a couple. Yeah. A couple. Um, right after the invasion, <laughs> I'll remember this, my LPO. So he's effectively our platoon sergeant because he's right underneath the E7s and the O's. So he's middle management. So we did a walkout to do an assessment of all the close air support we called. So the, when we called in A10s, um, some Cobras, AC-130 Spectre gunship, we went out to see the damage we caused and there was dead Iraqis fucking everywhere. I mean, split from hit from like mid chest to here, just filleted open. Wow. And we went out to go check the damage, looked around. We're like, Fuck, we fucked these guys up. So when we were walking back, the Iraqis started launching RPGs at us. I still remember this like it was yesterday. It's so crazy the shit I just sometimes remember. Mm -hmm. But he and I were right next to each other and we hear it. And our initial intel for this freaking oil refinery was highly trafficable. It was all bullshit. It was nothing but wet mud. Thank God, bro. Cause when I, cause we're, the road was raised a little bit, probably five to eight feet. And when that RPG landed, it freaking hit that mud and was a dud. Ooh. <laughs> And then we're and the we had Brits, we had more Royal, uh, Royal Marines with us, mm -hmm. fucking solid dudes, yeah. and they were getting after it that night too. But they were like, "I go rockets incoming," and we started running back, and we're laughing, and we're hearing, and they're like, "Come on, mates!" and they're like cheering us on to get back. <laughs> it's fucking dumb, right? Yeah. We should have at least been in it, one of our vehicles or something yeah. to go out. But some of our combat dune buggies were stuck in this mud, right? Because oh, the intel yeah. was bad. Mm. So we were waiting for the Brits to bring their track vehicles to fucking pull us out. Wow. Yeah, that's the reason we didn't take any vehicles down there. Because <laughs> we would have been able to lob back some 
uh, Mark 19, some 45, 40 mic mic HEDP, you know, yeah, and some 50 cal, but our shit was stuck in the mud. And I'm sure some of my boys that were with me that listen to our podcast are going to fucking laugh because it was a shit show. All of our combat dude buggies stuck in the mud, dude. Dude. Oh, it's, it's wild to me that you're like, you know, there's a fucking rocket coming your way. And like, yeah, we were running away laughing. Like, <laughs> yeah, we were like, oh shit, we better get back. <laughs> wow. Um, earlier you talked about, you wanted to talk about an accident. Yeah, so uh, before we did the invasion, November of 02, we were based out of Camp Doha, the big army base there in Kuwait, outside of Kuwait City. So that's where we would stage our guys from SEAL Team 3, and then I believe SEAL Team 8 uh, was based out of there doing ship takedowns. And we went up to the range that day, and we took a couple of army bubbas, really good dudes, they were hooking us up on base with all kinds of different stuff like water and Gatorades. So we wanted, to, we're going up to do a day into night shoot with our combat dune buggies and 50 cows, our Mark 19s. I think we had some rockets that we let off up there. And so we went up there and took these guys with us, had a kick-ass day, hauled ass around the desert, around Udari range. Once again, some of this shit, I just, it's been so long ago, but I always remember it. Yeah. So we had a blast. We're doing vehicle immediate action drills, you know, shooting and moving. And, um, we get done late and we always drive back on NVGs, right? So I was the trail combat dune buggy out of five or six. And there was always this ditch, whether you're coming up or going back to base. And usually we're calling it out on comms. Hey guys, ditch coming up. Nobody called it out and I was dusted out and I knew it was coming up. Sure shit. We hit that thing 60 miles an hour. Oh, fucking knocked me out. I think it knocked my ALIC out, Jay. And then the army dude we had with us. Super good dude. <laughs> the seat up above, if you've ever seen our combat dune buggies, we got driver, navigator, and then the third, the gunner up top, the 50 gunner is up above in his chair. Mm -hmm. Well, we hit that ditch so hard, it not only bent our Chinawith steel frame in the front, it snapped his seat at that almost 90 degree angle. Oh. And the 50 cal, thank God, was unsafe, right? Because yeah. we're coming off the range. Right. Um, and he just fucking hit it so hard. The butterfly trigger... You know, the big butterfly trigger on the 50 cal ran a ray stripe up his face, bro, and knocked his helmet off. His Mitch. Ooh. His poor fucking lips and face were just mangled. So when I came to, I got out because we had five-point harnesses. So I was like, fuck. I'm like, Jay, are you right? I get out and my back's fucked. Not only was I knocked out from the impact, my back, I'm like this. You know, and I'm trying to get out. I'm like, Sarge, are you all right? And he's like, kind of comes to, and I, I kind of remember this, but I remember what his face looked like. I said, are you all right, bro? He's like, man, that was fucking crazy. I'm all right. So the platoon realizes we're not there. They turn around, start coming back. We finally get them on comms. They get back. We have our tow lines ready. 
you know, on the front and the rear. So we get towed back, go to medical. This poor dude. I, if, bro, if you ever see any of the podcasts I do, I owe you beers. I gave him some t-shirts, our team three t-shirts, yeah. a couple of coins and hats that next day. Cause we went to go check on him mm. and he was like, that was fun as fuck, bro. I'm good. Well, his face was all mangled up. Oh, shit. Man. So that was the big accident that really messed up my my lower lumbar, mm. but also knocked me out when I was already, you know, doing fuck. crazy ex- excessive blast exposures Demolition. with breaching and everything else. Yeah. And rockets. We'd get law rockets during our uh, land warfare phase out in Nyland, California. We'd get Carl G's, AT4s, and I was the ordnance rep. So I had control of all of our inventory, our weapons, our lasers, night vision, ammo, explosives, everything. So we'd go out there and we'd just shoot. You're supposed to, I think back in the day, it was three Carl Gustavs in 24 hours. I'd shoot 12, 13, 14. Because we had to expend the ammo, right? right? So we had our, our field up there with like cars that had been blasted, old tanks. Um, so I'd run the line and we'd just go off. And not just me, like all of us. We'd have 13, 14 rockets each. Damn. You know, so. And what's crazy with the Carl G, you have a sack around your heart called the pericardium. And what that, when you shoot the Carl G, Not only does it rattle your dome, it does micro tears in this lining, the sack around your heart and pulls it away like this, right? So I, I really haven't had heart issues, not going to (laughs) lie. Um, hopefully never, but that's, you know, that's just training and imagine our guys like we're in combat and I know guys that have shot rocket after rocket and firefights in Iraq and Afghanistan for like days. Mm. So if you can imagine that's what we're doing to our bodies and our brains, even though it's such a double-edged sword, right? Mm -hmm. Like you want to prepare to go to war and be the best at it, but then you're also slowly destroying your body physically and physiologically yeah it is a fucking double-edged sword yeah wow so you did eight years right yes sir so you know i'd like to i'd like to really get into all the stuff that you're doing um so you know after having experienced all that you know what was it like for you you know trying to trying to acclimate to civilian life you know what? I got really lucky, Josh. Um, my boys that had gotten out before me were recruiting me to go to Afghanistan to jump on their team protecting President Karzai at the time. So that was my initial plan. And then the company that they were working for lost that protection contract. And so they all went to Iraq and ended up going through a triple canopies course. And some of them became instructors for Triple Canopy. So I was like, well, the train's already leaving. I'm getting out. I'm going to go be part of one of these teams. So a group of us, to include my best friend, Scotty Wirtz, 
sub memorial band I'm wearing. He, our boy Kermit, who's no longer with us either, we all got out together and went through Triple Canopy's course mm. to deploy to Iraq with our boys. Okay. Well, that, I don't know if you remember this, it was all over the news. Uh, Triple Canopy and Blackwater, TC had won the contract and it was a hundred and something million dollars. Wow. Well, Blackwater protested and they ended up getting the contract back. But Triple Canopy had several hundred of us on retainer to deploy to Iraq, hinging on that they actually were awarded the contract, which didn't happen. Mm. So they fucking called all the guys after like a month and a half, two months. No, we were on retainer for about three months, I think. Three and a half. Said, mm. sorry, gents. Blackwater won the contract back. There's nothing we could do. We did everything. We really wanted you guys to come work for us. Sorry. Damn. <laughs> so that plan went out the window. So that was plan B, right? That okay. plan went out the window. Well, I had left our training command after working with one of our legendary SEAL Master Chiefs that was a plank owner owner over at Damneck. Uh, his name's Mike. And he was like, hey man, let me know. I'll send your resume out. Think I got a I think I got a pulse on getting you guys hooked up. Well he did. He hooked us up with another legendary plank plank owner from Damneck named Snake. And uh Snake had us come out to Iraq. We're our base was Camp Dublin out of uh, Baghdad International, mm. literally across the uh, the back gate where all of our guys would come in and out, dignitaries, you know, all the Bush and all the leadership at the time. Um, so I said, hell yeah, let's let's go to work. So we went to work for him. He sat me down and he said, hey, you come. Mike speaks very highly of you after working with him over at Assaults at the assaults office. Do you think you can run this with our Iraqis? So they were training the Iraqi emergency response unit, which had just did a really good job with a bunch of our US guys that were mm -hmm. contracting for the same company. And they had got into a bunch of firefights in Fallujah. And we had just missed it by probably a couple of weeks. So they continued that program and recruiting and it was for the Minister of Interior for Iraq. And General David Petraeus was like their big, the big lead on it. Yeah. So we trained our Iraqi ERU, which were paramilitary at the time. And we're teaching them all of our tactics, mm -hmm. you know, pistol, rifle, CQC, urban warfare. And we'd take them on ops in Baghdad and then up in Mosul. We'd take them on ops and work with the striker battalions. Hmm. So it was cool because I was a civilian yeah. with my boys, but still doing work. You yeah, know what I so, mean? So you didn't, you didn't have to experience the downtime, you know, of, uh, you just went, you just started getting after it. Yeah. And I was out. with a core group of brothers, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was lucky in all those aspects. So did there ever come a point? I mean, you're not contracted now, right? No, I haven't contracted in a couple of years. Yeah. So did there ever come a point where, 
Um, you did experience that downtime, like, you know, you're no longer going on these missions. Uh, did it hit you at all? Yeah, that was probably 08 to 09, mm-hmm. right around the time that the, you know, the real estate bubble and the economy crashed. And I was working at doing this random job that I didn't even know was uh, managing this specimen palm tree company out of San Diego. So we'd go out, uh, sign these really old palm trees that people love to buy for their million dollar properties right. or casinos or, mm-hmm. you know, resorts. And, uh, it was just filling time. And then finally I got an opportunity after the Captain Phillips op went down with our boys from Damnick and, uh, one of our East Coast retired SEAL team senior chiefs had a company. And he got the contract with Maersk uh, Limited out of uh, the East Coast to protect their American shipping crews. And a lot of the cargo was military cargo. Mm -hmm. So I did that right after the whole Captain Phillips hop for four years. Oh, wow. Yeah, but I had a gap from about 08 to 09 where I struggled. And that's when there was no contracts to jump on. It was just dried up. Mm-hmm. You know, but there was stress. I'm yeah. telling you, and I was yeah. working my ass off running this company that I and an industry I didn't know anything about. Right. But I hit it head on, created a whole training notebook for the company, and killed it. And it ended up being the guy who said he was the co-founder, co-owner, lied about everything. It was embezzling all the money. <laughs> on the weekend selling our palm trees because mm-hmm. our trees were going for the big ones were going for about 10 grand a pop installed. Wow. So, you know, when you go to Vegas, you got Las Vegas Boulevard where mm-hmm. all the casinos are at and those giant, beautiful palm trees in the middle of it that look like they have um, like a pineapple right yeah. underneath the fronds. Mm-hmm. Those are Phoenix Canariensis and the, so Canary Island date palms. But one of those was 10 grand installed. Oh, shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd like to get into, you know, everything that you're doing now. You know, you, you, yeah. you're working with vets, right? I am. I'm working with a, active duty, but mostly a lot of combat veterans, male and female. I'm currently on our board of directors for our Navy SEALs fund. Mm-hmm. We're not the Navy SEAL Foundation. It's the Navy SEALs fund, and we're a very small agile uh, nonprofit. So that one specifically, we take care of, you know, our boys that are, whether they're active duty, retired, or just separated. So I'll give you an example. We had one of our legendary Vietnam SEALs from Team One lose his house in that big fire in Boulder Mm -hmm. County, Colorado. So I was reached out to one of my close brothers from the teams that lives up there said, hey, Kill needs our help, bro. Mm. So immediately I get on the horn with the founders of our foundation. And we started a, um, on, so we put together link and pictures to show everybody the damage. You know, it was devastating. I think 900 to 1,000 homes. Oh, wow. But through our this specific foundation, we were able to raise just above 91,000 for him. Nice. Yeah. So he could rebuild his home. I know he's got some 
I think some loopholes with the insurance, but at least we were able to raise money to get him started. Yeah. Because literally he's got to rebuild from the ground up like everybody out there. Right. Yeah. It was pretty devastating. So we'll do things like that. We'll support our guys that need monetary or financial support Mm -hmm. to travel, go through some of the treatments that you and I had talked about. Um, and then I work with five to six other foundations and we're all connected. Mm. So it, it's, it's a big group or alliance of our foundations to include our Navy SEALs fund. Yeah. So, and everybody plays a little bit different part, but it's all about helping our brothers and sisters that are struggling with PTS and TBI like I did mm-hmm. for years, um, get some healing in so yeah. they can get better. Just want everybody to know before we continue on, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physician's <laughs> assistant. I'm not a nurse. Um, I'm not a paramedic. I just know the symptoms I dealt with and how these treatments have helped me and all the other combat veterans I've been working with and yeah. guiding. Yeah, so, but you are connected to doctors, the oh, yeah. other organizations that are providing these um, maybe treatments that like the VA isn't doing. Yeah. yeah, most of these treatments the VA is not even doing. Yeah, what 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 can you talk about these? Treatments? Yeah, I'll, I'll talk. I'm going to grab this just so I can make sure I'm accurate. Yeah, no problem. So I created these docs that I share. I showed them to you earlier. Yeah. Before we started this, but I created these on my own as a guide based off of my PTS symptoms, my TBI symptoms. Um, and then it helps me guide other combat veterans mm-hmm. that I talk to, whether there are SEAL team brothers or, you know, fellow combat veterans from other units. Mm-hmm. Um, to quite a few females are finally asking for help. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like with, America's Mighty Warriors, that's a foundation founded by one of our SEAL Team Gold Star mothers, Mm -hmm. Debbie Lee. And her big footprint is in the hyperbaric oxygen therapy treatments. So we call it HBOT for short, Mm. where you go into an acrylic tube and they pump medical grade O2 into it, which it's pretty crazy. It increases it increases neuroplasticity, which means it makes your neurons in your brain create new pathways, basically. Mm. So just in layman's terms, and it makes your own stem cells go into overdrive to heal your body. Wow. So that's wild. You know, starting out with that, because I showed you pictures of my brain. Dude, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. I'll take some pictures too. That way maybe I could link them in this Oh, definitely. I mean, by the time I got done in May of 2020, I initially showed up for these hyperbaric treatments. I looked like hell. My insomnia was gnarly. I was reliving all the, everything we're talking about right now. Um, But what was really kicking my ass and beat me down were the traumatic brain injury migraines. I mean, there, I was having four to six a month. I couldn't concentrate. I'd lay in bed. If I got up in my room, I have dark blackout curtains. 
but I'd have to put a mask on. But if I got up and I was still feeling shitty and I didn't take, I didn't have gabapentin at the time that the VA gave me, but I'd get up and I'd, I'd be dizzy like my equilibrium was off, but then I'd get really nauseous. And all I wanted to do was put a fucking hatchet in my own head Uh, to like release the pain and pressure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But the hyperbaric oxygen treatments, when I showed up there, my VA doc at Aloma Linda, everybody knocks the VA. I'm going to talk about my team, my doc, my nurses, they're on top of it. Mm. They respond for me like that, but they only respond with what they have available to them. Right. That's the problem. Mm. So I had been on Vicodin for 11 years to deal with the pain, Ambien for my insomnia, and then I was just abusing the shit out of it. So I'd have pain to try to go to sleep. I'd eat a handful of Vicodin, an Ambien or two, half a bottle of whiskey, or a full bottle when I didn't have, you know, when I didn't have my daughter, I could down a bottle and just fucking pound those prescription pills to try and self-medicate so I could get, thinking I was going to get three, four, four and a half good hours of sleep, which we all know it's counterproductive, right? (laughs) You're actually not, and you're damaging your brain more with all of those put together. You know what I mean? And if I could get a Xanax here and there from friends, fucking throw that in the mix too. Just to get sleep, mm-hmm. you know, or relieve the TBI migraines. Wow. Um, but that high, the HBOT really helped me to the point where I went from barely functional, healthy blood flow in my brain, which my doc was like, bro, I don't even know how you were operating for this long. Cause I only had a little bit back here and you saw the images. Yeah. And there was nothing midbrain or in the frontal lobes. Yeah. And not to mention, you saw the holes or perfusions all over my brain. And then you saw the after, after 58 hyperbaric treatments. That's fucking crazy, dude. Where the holes actually healed. And then I had 30%, about 30% more uh, healthy, functional brain flow. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Was- so I was able to get it. So all the drugs I was on. When I got to HBOT, Vicodin, Ambien, which was the tail end of that. My daughter, my doctor put me on Trazodone, um, which didn't even touch my insomnia. Uh, Trazodone, Mirtazapine, Prazosin, uh, what else? Obviously the Gabapentin for the headaches. I'm off everything now because of HBOT. Wow. Alone. That's fucking awesome. I'll tell you this, Josh, I had, I think we spoke about this before. I had every major adverse reaction to the mirtazapine, the prazosin, the trazodone. I actually, my daughter, we were at the park after I first started on the mirtazapine when I talked to uh, my shrink from the VA mm-hmm. and she looked at me and I, I was just a zombie, mm-hmm. like nothing there from the mirtazapine and truly I'll be honest with you. I've said this before on that last podcast, that drug alone made me suicidal. 
That's probably one of the few times in my life where I wanted to put a fucking gun and eat my gun. Mm. That's how gnarly it was. Wow. Yeah. While you were on it? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's fucking crazy, man. And that's when I first got on it. I only did it for like a couple of weeks, and then I told my doc, no more. Yeah. And then I had adverse reactions from the Prazis and the nightmare medication at every major adverse reaction you could see when you pull it up. Mm. Uh, Trazodone, same thing, and it didn't touch, but touch me. But when I got done, I was able to get off everything. I've only had about three to four minor TBI migraines. Nice. And the only medication I'm on from the VA or any doctor is my high blood pressure med. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, what would you, uh, you know, what, 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 what would you say to like, you know, any veterans, combat veterans that are, you know, feeling some of these symptoms that you felt, um, or, you know, they, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know where to go. Like where, where could they go look for? Yeah. You're not alone. Number one. Number two, definitely reach out to me. When we get done with this thing, we'll get my contact information out there. Mm. And this is what I'm doing now, is getting combat veterans. First, I assess what they're going through, their symptoms. And I, I printed this out for you. And it's a really, really good uh, representation of what most of us go through. Mm. If we don't have some of these symptoms or all of them, it's some type of combo, but this is a really good one that I printed out for you, right, Josh? Yeah. So you have PTS and TBI. Hold it, hold it up a little higher, Johnny. Yeah, there you go. So you have PTS and TBI. Mm -hmm. They're independent symptoms, and then you have the overlapping. Mm. So like with me, I was having the headaches, dizziness, nausea and vomiting, vision problems, light mm -hmm. sensitivity, uh, sensitivity to noise as well. Then PTS, you have flashbacks, check, avoidance, check, uh, hypervigilance, check, right. nightmares, check, re-experiencing phenomenon. Mm. And then now you have the overlapping, the fatigue, the gnarly insomnia, the depression, the irritability, the anxiety. And when I send, I send this out to combat veterans that I'm helping with and guiding, and they all come back and they're like, man, I, I'm checking almost every single one of those off. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. Man. So I'm excited to fucking try some of the stuff that yeah, you're we're gonna, about, man. We'll get you into HBOP, brother. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. All right, man. Well, we're getting ready to wrap it up. But uh, before I do, I always like to ask, uh, you know, if there's any last words you'd like to say before we cut the tape. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you're struggling, you're not alone, reach out. I'm an open book, open phone call away. And not only is there that foundation, there's Troops First Foundation that's run by Rick Kell and then one of our legendary Frogman brothers, SEALs, uh, Frank Larkin. I work with them to get combat veterans into stellate ganglion block treatments mm. in Baltimore. And that's paid for by the foundation as well that to help reset your fight or flight when you're dealing with a lot of those symptoms that I just went over. Uh, we have the 22 project in Delray beach that does our 
spec brain scans at a much cheaper cost. Mm -hmm. And they worked with Mama Lee from America's Mighty Warriors to get our guys treatment. And they helped uh, fund some of the actual HBOT treatments. And Alex and his team are outstanding. Then we have VETS, which is Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions. And we leave the United States to go do two different type of plant medicines. One of them is called Ibogaine, and the other one's 5-MeO-DMT. And right now, as far as I know, because I'm very close with the founders, Marcus and Amber Capone, that they are, it's strictly for special operations combat veterans, Mm -hmm. not to say that you couldn't go talk to another foundation and ask them for financial support to pay for that. And hopefully in the future, we're going to help them shift that over to all branches, all backgrounds Mm. of the military that are struggling with PTS and TBI. And then one of my close SEAL team brothers has Warrior Health Foundation out of Florida. And that's strictly for um, special special operations combat veterans as well. And that is testosterone replacement therapy, vitamin therapy, which has also helped me, you know, heal from all my PTS and TBI. Because mm. our hormones and all other levels are absolutely out of whack. Right. But there's other foundations I know that are out there that will help, um, you know, regular military combat veterans get some of these treatments. Mm. And as long as you ask, I'm sure I, I with my network, I can find out who's helping out right in that aspect as well. Cool. So, hey, Johnny, thanks, man. I really appreciate you coming to take the seat. Uh it's a fucking honor to have a Navy SEAL fucking take the seat, man. You're the first one. And, uh, Thanks, yeah, brother. I'm fucking honored, man, that you're willing to do this. So far. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Yeah. It's been awesome, brother. Thank you very much, man. Yeah, God bless. God bless. Push it to the limit, I can't go no more. Red light, no way I'm